All right. Happy Tuesday. It's Tuesday, March 23rd. Happy Tuesday, everybody. We are back with another episode of Learning Tech Talks, where we are exploring the landscape of learning tech while cutting through the fluff and answering the questions. I don't even remember how I finished that. But anyway, it doesn't matter because I'm joined by the brotherly duo, David and Taylor Blake. And you know what? We're going to be talking about upskilling, but kind of in a different flair while at the same time hearing more about their newest venture, Learn In, which I think pretty much anybody listening has probably heard or seen something about, but may not know quite what it is. So we're going to demystify that while having a lot of fun in this conversation. But before we do, like we always do, we got to warm things up, get people comfortable. And just so you know, everybody watching, listening, you should play along as well. So David and Taylor, we're going to start with an easy one. We're, we're starting with a slow pitch. So where are you in the world today? I'm going to start. I'm going to go do the opposite of what I usually do. I'm going counterclockwise. So Taylor, you're up first. All right. Uh, I'm here in Salt Lake City, Utah, uh, which Dave is uh, close, nearby. Uh, we're about 40 minutes away. Don't spoil it. Look at you. I, I know. I know. I know, right? <laughs> Okay. All right. You know, what's funny is I always just love asking like, where are you in the world today? And then seeing how people answer. Cause sometimes it's just a, I'm in Salt Lake city, Utah. And then other times you get the whole story behind it. So anyway, let's, let's switch it over. Now, David, it's your turn. Although we kind of know, but we'll, we'll you can yeah, get more specific. So uh, part of the great COVID migration. So after 10 years in San Francisco, moved back home to a uh, suburb of Salt Lake city. So okay. both um, Taylor and I grew up out here, and so this is this is where the roots are. Really? Okay, so that, Taylor, we've talked before, and I, I did not know that part of things. So I didn't know that was where you grew up, and then you went to California, so now you came back. All right, learning so many new things, and so is everyone else. All right, so the next one, we're staying on the family topic. So this one's going to be fun, but I'm going to reverse the order. And you know what? If you're watching, you can comment in too because it's always fun to hear what everybody else is doing. But let's start with this one. David, what is your favorite sibling childhood memory? And while I didn't specifically state in the rules, you have to do the sibling that's on the show with you. Yeah, that's true. I didn't yeah. say that. So let's see where you go with it. This is, uh, we'll tell you a little bit about uh, Taylor. I know you've gotten to know <laughs> a little bit over the years, but the. Um, so I'm, I'm older of uh, the two of us brothers. So I'm second of five. Taylor is fourth of five. Okay. Um, so he had the advantage. Uh, so we're competitive. And, uh, you know, there aren't that many things six years apart where we got to compete head to head. You know, so he didn't get to, you know, prove his dominance or dunk on me on the basketball courts or any of that growing up because we were separated by six years. But the uh, our ACT scores were a very clean, delineated way of kind of proving, you know, who's who's actually um, top rung. And so he had the advantage because I went first. And so he knew what uh, number he had to beat. But it'll also tell you a lot about Taylor. He he will um, do the he's efficient. He'll do the minimum amount required to get the outcome desired. And so Taylor studied um, just hard enough to uh, beat me by one point and then stop. <laughs> and, uh, so that's 
that Taylor Taylor uh, bested me in the uh, AC. Okay, so Taylor gets to respond to this one. Yeah. But I, I, I love that, that it's like, it wasn't like, I just want to crush it and see how it's just, I'm going to beat you by one a little point. bit, just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And the, uh, the trend actually continued for whatever reason, that was a, a good quantifiable measuring stick. So uh, yeah. as you go younger among the siblings, they each uh, generally oh. best each other by <laughs> Uh, just a little bit. Just a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Taylor, you're up. Favorite sibling memory. Oh, favorite sibling memory. Um, you know, with Dave, since he's on here, I mean, Dave made my life so much easier. And I, I'm not sure I've ever really thanked him for it. And it's because every night I'd be, you know, laying in my bed. And I'd hear Dave come into the house at, you know, who knows what time, way too late. And I always got to listen to him get an earful from my parents, <laughs> which meant that by the time I was a teenager, um, Dave had just pushed the boundaries so yeah. that for me, by comparison, I was just the easy child, the angel. Um, Always got into a little bit of trouble, but never as much trouble as Dave. Never as much as Dave. And he set the or, bar. Or the record, our parents have never called Taylor an angel. So <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's revisionist history. Yeah. But got it. Got older it. siblings, yeah, do get to take the bar. We do, right? I'm the oldest, and that's what we do. We set the bar, we push the limit, and then everybody else can kind of come in behind, and they've got an easier pass. So look at that. Look at that. We, we set the gratitude right there. So now we got to hear it on both ends. So I'll share. So we were talking about this before we came live. So my brother's 10 years younger than me, almost 10. And he actually helps me with the show and this other stuff too. So he's we we kind of work together in some regards. So I I had a bunch of them actually. So I was actually having a hard time picking which one that I was gonna think back to. But I I think one of them that really stood out was we were big into Nintendo sixty four like back in the day when Nintendo sixty four was the thing, and we used to play Diddy Kong Racing all the time. I love Diddy Kong Racing, but the thing that I think he kind of liked it. He's maybe on, so maybe he'll comment in and answer this one. But I think it drove him nuts, but at the same time, he kind of liked it. If you remember Diddy Kong Racing, you could fly, okay? And so you could fly these planes, and I would fly way ahead and get super far ahead and be on the last lap right before the end game, and I would wait. And then I would turn and go backwards with missiles, and I would just eradicate him. Like, I would not let him get to the finish line. And then right before he would get close enough, then I would quick cross the line and take first. And it was so much fun for me. I don't know if it was very fun for him. He, he laughs about it to this day. But again, I think the Nintendo 64 thing was kind of our thing. So we had that. All right, let's transition over before we end up talking too much about our trips down memory lane. And let's talk a little bit about this because I'm curious and I'm sure everyone else is too. So you, you both were involved with Degreed, and now you're doing learning. You're in this disruptive learning HR tech space. Was that something that back, you know, when you were fighting over ACT scores and things like that, that you dreamt that, hey, maybe one day this is what we're going to do? Or how did that end up becoming something that the two of you ended up getting involved in? And I won't direct that at anyone. So You, can you, you probably expect the answer to be... Um... 
you know, know who's thinking about starting an ed tech company uh, when they're teenagers, but, you know, we'll let Dave tell his story because it uh, very much was was on his mind. It was. Uh, so, I mean, talking about the ACT, I do point at the ACT as the catalyst, which when I sat for it, I just thought this is crazy that this is how we sort everyone in and out of their futures. Um, so I'd never once thought about like the future of education or my career going into education or, or learning um, until that moment. But it really did, uh, it really did throw me. And I went and I went to the library. I tried to find books on it and I started trying to do research and study. I didn't find a lot, to be honest. This was pre-Google. Um, but I found a lot of catalog. Yeah, exactly. The Dewey Decimal System. Exactly. You know? uh, that's about where we were. Um, I'm just old enough. Uh, and so that summer, after I graduated, I wrote a business plan on a university of the future. Okay. Um, and still have it uh, to this day. And, you know, and so, I mean, I've, I've been thinking about it kind of ever since. So okay. sort of when I was 17 and a half. Now that said, um, you know, uh, never thought I would, you know, never thought exactly would find myself working in like corporate L&D. I mean, it's, okay. you know, I've, I've fallen in love with problems and they, they take me places. Okay. Um, okay. So it kind of did. So it was like, you took this test, which, Mine, mine was, I had a similar feeling. Like I went to, when I went to college, I remember being like this, I just can't, can I like do something and get the degree But why do I have to go through all these other ridiculous steps type of thing? So, okay. So it started with the standardized test. You went, you know, I want to fix it. Taylor, how did you get pulled into it then? I, I was a much more normal teenager. I <laughs> uh, didn't think about the education system, except, you know, my tiny role in it. Uh, but I think, you know, nearing the end of my four-year college experience, it was this really, I think, harsh transition, which makes you think about some of these things, which was, okay, I just spent four years yeah. learning all this stuff, um, you know, did or did it not prepare me very well for my career, and it feels like, you know, I only have a few options in terms of where I could see myself going. And then like, okay, so I learned for four years and then I work for, you know, 40 years. And that's just this idea of like, okay, I'm going to learn and then I'm going to go work for the rest of my life. And it just felt like we've got something a little bit mixed up in terms of how we think about lifelong education. Cause it just felt way too binary. Like okay. you're in learning mode for four years. Now you're working for 40 years. Um, so that was about the time that um, I joined Agreed coming out of school. Uh, so that's kind of okay. my... David had some time to get it up and kind of starting to figure out. And then you started just going, you know what? I don't like this either. So I'm going to I'm gonna help. I'm going to jump on the train and, and help with that. So, right. So you went and did Agreed, which has had tremendous success, continues to be crazy successful in the industry. And I remember, David, I remember when you made the shift from, you know, CEO and then you were on the board and then you went off and did that. And I think there were a fair amount of people that went, oh, you know, he's moving on and, you know, kind of cashing in on the success of that. And that'll be it. And then that's not the case. I mean, you've been involved with a lot of other things, but now learning is is one of the new ones. Why? 
like why why say you know i'm i'm just going to keep pushing it yeah so i mean i continue to serve as the chairman at the greed and i'm still very emotionally um invested um you know, Degreed was so hard to get launched and sort of birthed into the world. Um, you know, and it just it, it extracted a really large toll in my life and in our family. So I really didn't ever think, honestly, that I would leave. I mean, it's I'm deeply emotionally invested, and and sort of you know, so much had to be laid on the sort of altar of sacrifice to make that all work. You had to roll some rocks uphill with Degreed. I mean, I remember the early days of Degreed. I remember the early days of trying to explain to people what it was and why it mattered. And it just, people were like, huh? I don't well, know. You know, here, here we are with learn in. And I think, <laughs> you, you thought, know, why not do it again? It sort of mystified. And I think, yeah, and it's, it's not, I'm not surprised by that. And it's because, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it's so much easier to just, you know, sort of take the better mousetrap approach to entrepreneurship, you know, sort of LMS 2.0 or, you know, performance management 2.0. I mean, just any anything and just kind of build the next version of it, you know, or the better version of it. And that's how I think most startups actually do make their way in the world. And it's and it's, uh, it's a totally fine way of evolving and iterating our way into better places. Um, I think it's really different though. I mean, um, you know, so before I tend to fall in love with the problem and the, and the problem with that is that, you know, we're, we're out there trying to solve a problem. It isn't like we set out to do X, Y, or Z to be adjacent to this or to compete with them or to do better than, you know, this or to launch a new category. Like when, when you just set out to solve a problem, you sort of, you know, it takes you wherever, you know, the solution set you know, goes. And so I think that's the confusion people have always perceived and, you know, and degreed and now with learn in is sort of like, well, what is it? What, what, what exactly is it that you're doing? What are you doing? Like, you know, I don't get it. Solving a problem. We haven't quite. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, we're problem solving and, you know, and that's, that's part of why we're still at it, which is, you know, degreed is doing truly incredible work. And so are so many, you know, others of this sort of generation. I mean, like we're seeing Coursera go out in their IPO and just thinking about sort of the accomplishments of, of ed tech of the last sort of seven to 10 years. But like the truth of the matter is we aren't, we're so far from solving all the problems, you know, yes. I mean, we're operating at such a minuscule scale in terms of upskilling, the costs of education are still inordinate sort of student debt is still climbing at, you know, sort of spiraling rates. I mean, there's still just work to be done and problems to be solved. And, you know, it's hard for me to imagine ever kind of, you know, um, turning in my spurs. I mean, just like the, as long as there's problems out there, you know, there's work to be done and, and we, we got to keep at it. You know, it's funny. I, I think sometimes there's this natural tendency for, for a lot of people is to be like, what, well, when, when is it done? When, when do we get to the end? And I, I, I look at it in a similar mindset of, well, you're not. Because the reality is the problems keep existing and everything keeps changing and it just keeps evolving. So just when you think you've solved it, yeah, something else is going to pop up and you're going to have to solve that too, which I get really excited about it. I think sometimes that's not always the attitude we have. And there are days when I'm not always super excited about it, but I get the gist. Yeah, there's weight to it. And I mean, and part of like, it isn't even like, how is learning different than degreed? And in so many ways, it's like degreed and everyone else has been solving problems. So, so yep. sort of in, in sequence, 
And so let's you know, talk about that. Like, let's transition to that piece because we're talking about solving problems. So what were some of these problems that you went, we can do more, or this is, this is another set of problems that we're going to try and tackle with this? Yeah, I mean, degree came on the heels of like, I think to name two big shifts. One was information went from being scarce to accessible, and that's largely just the internet. Um, and then specifically, um, Degreed came on the heels of education being democratized, and that's largely pointing at the MOOCs. And between those two things, Degreed was birthed at sort of this moment in time when the sort of the ecosystem had sort of, um, you know, codified around us. There was now accessibility and a wealth uh, and an abundance and kind of an early but there was this Cambrian explosion of educational content going out into the world. And so, you know, that created then both opportunity and need and degreed, you know, arose to meet that, to help people curate it, to create search, to, you know, be able to put it into pathways, to have it add up to something of merit, to be able to sort of score and credential and measure it, to be able to reflect it back to your um, employer for employers to be able to make sense of it all. Um, and, you know, and so very natural order of uh, things. And the work at Degreed is not done. You know, the, the mission of a Degreed is to jailbreak the degree, you know, believe that skills are the currency of the future. And there is still great sort of important work to be done there. But I think, um, you know, what's happened is, and it really is just an evolution. Um, you know, we're getting to now new questions and additional problems. And I think one of the really important ones is sort of equity and fairness, um, which is, you know, corporate L&D has not ever been asked how equitable uh, their programs are. You know, not ever. Nope. And why not? Well, because like five years ago, I mean, there was just such a burden of other problems of just trying to mobilize education, of creating access to the education, of, you know, trying to improve the ability to measure it in any way. You know, I mean, like learning measurement historically is not awesome. You know, like, it's not like we had an- What are you talking about? <laughs> like we had an abundance of clarity, you know? And so like, we're just, we are solving problems in sequence. Yeah. But we've gotten to the point where now, like in the rearview mirror, higher education was the predominant system of, of education and skilling of the workforce. But in, you know, looking through our looking forward, you know, through the windshield, corporate L&D uh, in a world of lifelong learning and, you know, 100 year life and sort of longevity. We're going to learn more at the hands of corporate L&D than we will from our professors and universities. And so all of a sudden, you know, like we actually do need to start asking the questions of equity um, and access in corporate L&D or, or, you know, risk a lot of unintended consequences and sort of systematic biases and, and hidden barriers. Um, so, you know, that's just one example of like, and it's just here, here we are. And you, you know, it's hard to look back and sort of blame, um, you know, our institutions of five years ago. I mean, it was, it was just not, we didn't have the tooling. We didn't have, you know, we weren't. No, I think that's a fair point. I think sometimes in our industry, it can, be, it can get very easy to kind of beat up on the way it was done. Like, oh, it's so ridiculous that, you know, we aren't here yet or we didn't do this. And it's like, well, honestly, five, 10 years ago, some of the things that we can do very easily now, just they weren't, po I mean, they were possible, but they were just so ridiculously resource intensive 
or just unsustainable that it was impossible to actually do it. And I think to your point, and I think it's a good point, we're now reaching this apex where some of these things that were impossibilities now, they're, they're kind of table stakes. And now we're kind of in this next generation of saying, okay, well, we got that kind of under control. Well, that's now revealing the problems were there before. I think that's one of the things the stuff, it's not like it wasn't a problem before. It's yeah. just we didn't have capacity to even see the forest through the trees. And now that we're backing up and getting through some of this, we're going, oops, we've got some other problems that we've still got to tackle. And I think there's a greater organizational awareness that I, I like your point about the fact that corporate L&D is going to be responsible for the development of people as a whole, probably more than... yeah than their institution or, you know, wherever they got their undergrad. It used to be this, you know, component of our careers that was almost inconsequential in large part because it was so compliance driven. It was, it was for the company's sake. It was never about us. It was never about our development. It was never about our learning. It was never about our careers. It was never about our future, you know, but that slowly shifted and, you know, increasingly it will be a meaningful part of, you know, who, gets the right skills, who is sort of um, qualified for opportunities, who is, you know, given promotions and uh, who is sort of, you know, mobilized to become leaders. Um, so much of that is going to now be dependent on the quality of lifelong education that you get, the quality of corporate training and skilling that you get. Okay. All right. So I got a question for you, Taylor, because I'm going to redirect this one. So if you bump into somebody and you say, yeah, I co-founded, you know, I'm co-founding Learning or I work for Learning now. Mm -hmm. How do you explain it to somebody in an elevator? <laughs> sure. Um, we help companies build their internal talent. So that's what Learning does. Okay. And, you know, a couple things there. Sort of degreed, we talked a lot about skills. Okay. You know, skills were, you know, the atomic unit of, you know, you're learning this content, it's building up into skills. Learning, we're thinking, approaching it more from, and people, a lot of people are familiar with Degreed. So if I'm talking to someone from L&D, I'll say, do you know Degreed? Great. Uh, I always describe Degreed as the uh, sort of the smaller stuff, right? The articles, the videos, the books, the podcasts, the just in time, in the flow of work, I have 20 minutes, like give me something to learn. Okay. Well, learn in is the, it's the bigger stuff. It's the, I wanna like, I don't just want to iterate on my skills. I wanna develop a new skill set. Okay. And I think that's a different and it's a hard challenge. So we're approaching that with, you know, learn in is about enabling the bigger, the longer form, more intensive, learning experiences, the ones that take more time, more commitment, a business case, uh, you know, this, and it really is about talent. It's not about, we need you to teach, you know, this very specific behavior or how to use this very specific tool. It's, you know, thinking about, do we have data science talent inside of our organization? Great. So it's talent building um, with an eye towards how do we do that in an inclusive way, as Dave has sort of mentioned. Okay. Well, what's interesting is back to the conversation about uh, your journey in, in the ed tech learning tech space. It's kind of a similar, it's a similar comparison in the sense of it's not a better mousetrap for your skills. It's not a, I'm 
pretty good at this, but I need to just kind of sharpen my blade or, or you know, catch up on some of the latest trends along the skills that I already have. It's this differentiation of, hey, I've got a fundamental new thing and and I need to build that skill from the ground up, which I think this is one of the things that our industry has missed over the years in some regards is the fact that that's a lot of work. Like you can't micro learning your way into building a new skill from the ground up. There, there's no, you know, 30 second YouTube clips you can watch on repeat. And then magically you have a fundamental understanding of how to actually build AI algorithms when you were a whatever, I have no idea what to compare it to, but it's, it's just, that's a, that's a big workload for the individual and for the, and for the enterprise to actually make that kind of investment. And they're, they're just different. You know I mean? It's like um, so much, you know, all the how-to and there's great, incredible how-to sort of stuff now on almost every field and industry out there. But it's like, you know, watching a seven minute video on how to replace my disposal, you know, in my sink doesn't make me a plumber. Right. This doesn't. And that's the difference. Now that isn't to say that these on-demand seven minute videos that sort of get you unstuck and and can step you through and and teach you something. It's just a different problem. And so, you know, Degreed really was in the flow of work. It's the, you know, on average employers give employees like 20, what is it? 24 minutes a week on average to learn. And Degreed is all about maximizing that. World Economic Forum says it takes 480 hours to learn a skill. And if you just start breaking down the problems of like, you know, developing a skill over 480 hours, it has its own set of challenges and they're immense. Um, you know, and so that's what's driven learning into um, coaching and how do you scaffold that? How do you, you know, block um, the time? You know, it's actually something that higher education had to figure out a really long time ago, you know, cohorting, synchronous, sort of accountability, checkpoints, application, you know, all of those things are um, good, uh, you know, ways of, of scaffolding someone over a very long journey um, and getting good results out of that very long journey. But when it comes to us as lifelong learners, the truth of the matter is, is that like most of us are pretty ill prepared to go on a 480 hour journey <laughs> in, in, you know, the middle of our life on our own to, to upskill ourselves, even with the encouragement or support of our employer. Yeah. Like we just, no one ever taught us how, like the system really didn't, it, you know? And so like a 480 hour journey is tough and, and it's going to take a whole bunch of, of kind of solutioning and help. Well, and I think that is, and, and again, I don't think it necessarily was a, well, I think there's parts of that that are new problems that didn't exist with the workforce before as skills have degraded faster as kind of this idea of you could get your degree and you could go get a job and you could just do it on repeat for 40 years that was stable knowledge apply it over 40 yeah, years. just apply it on on repeat and now it's like you can't do that and in some regards that's a new problem that to your point people are now going well what the heck am i supposed to do with this i wasn't prepared i wasn't prepared to do that so it's it's an interesting challenge and i think the other point you hit on that is a good one to highlight is it's not a one's good or one's bad. To your plumbing example, there's nothing wrong with, it's good that you can look up, how do I quickly replace my garbage disposal? Because you probably don't need to be a plumber to swap out your garbage disposal. So that kind of problem, it's okay to solve with that kind of thing. If you're trying to redo the plumbing in your whole house because your basement flooded, 
you probably don't want to be doing a series of YouTube videos, hoping that you get it right and hope that after you drywall, everything shut. Like, I really hope it worked because this, uh, you know, if that's the kind of accountability, I think that whole seeking out what problem are you trying to solve? That's a degree of effort that we on the corporate L&D side, we need to put that through our front end more to say, hey, how are we actually evaluating this? Because there's not a right or wrong answer it's a, what problem are we trying to solve? And then what are we actually applying to solve it? Yeah. Totally. Okay. Go for it. Well, so let me ask you this question because this is, it's a good one. And Toby brought it up. All right. And I'm, cause we're kind of treading into the challenges piece, but we'll come back and forth. Cause I've got a lot of things that I want to go for with this one, but this is a real challenge that people face is, okay, so we made this investment. We did this. We tried to tackle this with over here. And now we've got to go back to the well and say, uh, remember how maybe you thought that like we were going to do this and it was going to solve all our problems. That wasn't quite accurate. And now we need to talk about doing this more. And it's not a trade-off. It's not a, now we dump all this stuff we were doing before, free up the funds. And now we put them over here It's a no, we keep investing here because that's still a really important capability and we need to layer this on. How, how are you seeing organizations work through that challenge? David? Yeah. Well, first I'll say I have a lot of conversations with people where I'll ask them about their upskilling needs and what they're doing. And a lot of times I'll just come out of it and say, honestly, you need degree or you need something like degree. Like that is based on what you're telling me, that's where you should start. Um, but a lot of times, right, there is this additional need uh, in these longer form skill building type experiences. And instead of it feeling like, gosh, well, here's an extra thing that we now have to do. We talk to it a lot in terms of your tuition assistance program. So here's something that you're already doing that we think you can reposition a little bit, make it more strategic, and to align it to this you know, new set of needs that we're talking about. Because tuition assistance really is, hey, we're going to help pay for our employees, go do two or four year degree programs. Yep. And Most, then make them sign a thing that says you're going to stay for four years after you do it. <laughs> right. Right. And there's all sorts of things that are kind of messed up with tuition assistance today. And most companies will admit like, oh, yeah. for tuition assistance, we haven't, we haven't looked at our policy since like the 90s. Um, but, you know, they spend a bunch of money on it. And we say, great, like, don't think of this as necessarily net new. Let's talk about tuition assistance and, you know, the spend that's already happening. And how can we reposition that against, you know, shorter, more targeted, more skill oriented programs that are aligned to the needs of the business? Okay. Um, so that's one way of thinking about it is not here's an extra thing you have to do, but let's figure out how to make tuition assistance better because tuition assistance can cover a lot of kind of what we're talking about. Okay. Got it. Well, and that, and that makes sense because most organizations have some sort of program in place. There is spend going to that type of thing. And honestly, I don't think I've been in a single conversation in the history of ever where I've said, how happy are you with the success of your tuition reimbursement program? And companies go, we love it. Literally everything we, it's a success. People get exactly what they want out of it. We get what we want out of it. It is money well spent. I don't think that conversation has happened to date. And maybe I'm just in the wrong conversations 
But I think the opportunity to say, hey, what if we could use that capability, that potential that we're trying to tap into, let's use it better so that rather than something where you know, it's not really getting you much, people aren't necessarily really happy with it, we're only touching a fraction of the population, like let's actually do something and actually benefit the organization as well. So the question I have as a follow-up, well, actually Toby had it, but I have a way I'm, I'm reframing this, is you talk about you know creating greater equity for these type of opportunities. And I think one of the risks or challenges with the traditional model of tuition reimbursement was it wasn't always super accessible for everybody. It was not always super accessible for everybody. And so it in some ways almost reinforced continued bias of, oh, well, we have, we have special programs for our high potentials, which is the tiny fraction of the population who we then invest in for these kinds of things. So from the democratization of it, keeping in that same mindset, how how do you see organizations tackling that challenge? Because that that's a that's a real risk that you could say, hey, these are our special programs for upskilling. And now we've we've kind of killed the democratization capability of it. Yeah. Um, oh, I can start, Taylor, if you uh, have any yeah. thoughts. The, you, you know, there's this uh, organizations have sort of placated themselves and that, you know, tuition assistance is sort of universally accessible. And so ergo, it's easy to think of it as, um, as universal, that right. it, you know, that it's accessible to everyone. So ergo, everyone benefits sort of evenly and fairly. I mean, but that's a faulty assumption a lot of organizations make. They're like, well, anybody can do it. So technically it's fair. And this is where it gets into, you know, they, we just haven't been measuring, but kind of the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, there's, there's hidden barriers and biases that lie beyond that, which is, you know, engaging in a four-year program, um, you know, most tuition programs are reimbursement. And so you still have to have enough cash in your bank yeah. account to go and pay tuition and float it for, you know, five months and then be reimbursed. A lot of companies put grade level sort of yep. stipulations on it. So then it's at risk. So if I end up getting, you know, a C plus in one of my classes, does that risk getting reimbursed? And, you know, and so all of a sudden anyone who can't, you know, float uh, a $4,000 tuition and payment, you know, or risk a $4,000 reimbursement no longer participates. You know, and then this, there's the biggest barrier to upskilling is time. And it is not, you know, born equally by all. I mean, if you are a, if you're a parent, you know, you have different demands. If you're a caretaker, you have different demands. If you're a single parent, you have different demands. If you have a long commute, you have different demands. If you have a second job, you have different demands. Then if you are single, then if you are married with a stay at home, you know, spouse, um, like it just isn't born equally. And so part of what we see is in these kind of open and accessible to all um, upskilling programs or tuition kind of programs that participation is biased towards those who have the time and those who don't get left behind, you know? And so we're leaving behind again, caretakers and parents and, and those with the second job. Um, so, you know, we just have to be kind of more thoughtful in how we engineer this and sort of solution for it. Okay. Yeah. And I'll add, I think a couple of things have really helped. One is that, you know, development today doesn't mean sending your employees to a top tier MBA program that costs $200,000. Right. 
That's how a lot of companies have thought about it. But now there's a new ecosystem of programs and experiences and certificate programs and coaching that the price has come way, way down, right? I mean, you can find these really high quality programs that don't cost tens of thousands of dollars. Maybe they cost a couple thousand dollars. So it's companies need to update their policies to allow for this new age type of skill building program because they cost less, more people can participate, they're shorter. Not everyone, you know, if you're limiting, you know, if you're saying, like, gosh, you've got to go back and get a master's degree or a four-year degree, like, who's ready to sign up for that? Not very many people, right? Well, yes. And, and on top of that, especially, like, we just talked about some of the challenges that people have with that. And again, you know, a lot of times for companies to make that kind of investment, that's where you have the clawback clauses where you say, well... If we're going to invest this kind of money, we need to know that there's this time and we don't really know how else to measure this. So we're going to do this, which, again, just restricts the inclusion and, and access to this kind of stuff. So, you know, I think it's I think it's an interesting capability. And some of the comments coming in are really talking about the fact that, hey, the opportunity to repurpose tuition reimbursement in a more meaningful way is it's value add to both the university side of things, right? The actual providers of these skill capabilities and the organizations and the, it's, it's really a win on, on all fronts. I, I see it this way anyway. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so the, my, my question with this one, you know, as you look at this, and I think this gets back to, I now remember where I was going with this. This gets back to the, why you can't throw out the, the degrees or some of these other efforts in the mix because one of the challenges is I, at least my take and feel free to cut me off or if you have something to add to this one of the things that's adding value to that that actually almost sets the table for what we're talking about is to maximize this you need to understand your workforce and the needs of the skills within your workforce so that these different options you can apply them intelligently instead of just force fitting people into a single option or even if you have a suite of options, just kind of packing people in and being able to help connect, hey, based on our workforce, based on the needs of the organization, the desires of the workforce, let's actually match and pair people to these things intelligently because some people might need an MBA. Some people might not. Some people might need a you know certification in an IT skill that doesn't take that kind of time and resources. So you can't just have one option and blindly throw people into it. But to me, that seems where there's this natural pairing between the two. And it's not a you throw one out and you replace it with this, because otherwise you're just doing it without the data you need to actually do it wise. Yeah. And I mean, degree fulfills a very unique position in the ecosystem, which is, you know, it built the thing that can, you know, marry your small arc learning, your daily, weekly, monthly with yep. your quarterly programs, your, you know, semi-annual um, and, you know, performance reviews, your you know, fall and spring high potential or manager trainings, you know, your annual um, performance reviews or, you know, development planning, your um, career planning, your mobility planning, you know, how like in degreed sitting underneath degreed is content and assessment and all of these point solutions. And, you know, part of what we saw was there was white space. There was a need that wasn't being well served. And that really, it's not even the biggest arc. I mean, college degrees, a master's degree is a two-year program. That's a bigger arc than what we're talking about. We're saying the white space is there's a need in stuff that's bigger than a course, you know, 
the, the truth of the matter is, is taking, you know, one course does not a data scientist make. What? Like, <laughs> no, taking, taking, How dare uh, you, Dave? Taking that Coursera course did not turn you into a data scientist. I can't know? believe that. I have my certificate printed here. I was going to go yeah. take on that. Well, you just ruined my afternoon. And, you know, and then there's, there are college degrees out there. There's the two year, you know, advanced degrees, there's the four year undergraduate degrees. And sort of in between those spaces, there was a, a lot of white space and in enterprise. And what we saw in sort of the consumer ecosystem, solutioning had emerged. There's income sharing agreements that deal with a lot of the cost sort of issues. There's coaching solutions that have, as Taylor said, come the price has come way down, the scale has come way up. Sort of these boot camps and certificate programs have really, you know, proliferated over the last several years. And so, sort of once again, we saw this white space. We want to help enterprise organizations be able to unlock, you know, new efficiencies and drive to more skill outcomes with it. But all of this would still sit under your degree, you know, implementation. Like learning is integrated with degree, you know, and degree at the end of the day is still the system that brings, you know, this kind of long form arc, you know, and lets it sit aside alongside your medium sized arc and your, you know, monthly sized arcs and your your weekly sized arcs and your, your okay. daily arcs. Okay. I like that. The reason I'm smirking a little bit is when you said learning's integrated with degree, I was actually chuckling because if you had said like, well, it's not, but we're going to, I actually would have laughed pretty hard. But anyway, so it makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense because it does. It's it's all fitting together. And it goes back to a conversation I had with um, Matt Donovan, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, where we were talking about, this is what we're talking about when we talk about the ecosystem. And the fact that this isn't this just universal single solution or single set of solutions that you just kind of quickly whip together. It's there's white space, there's narrow space, there's big like there's there's a lot of complexity behind this. And to our earlier point from the beginning of the conversation, this is only going to grow Continue. and the whole model of coming out of school is not your end. That is, if anything, the starting line for the rest of your development. And that's not a choice you really get to make anymore where you go, well, I'm a lifelong learner. Well, guess what? We're all a lifelong learner. And if you're not, you're in trouble. Like you you are, you just don't know it yet. Type By necessity, we all are, sure. <laughs> that's just it. It's not a nice like option you get to choose anymore. Instead, it's more of a, a, a baseline requirement. So with this one, the other question I have, and I think it's a it's an interesting kind of perspective that I'd like from you on this, what you've seen with organizations you work with is kind of this balance. And I think it's a constant balancing act, or at least in my experience, it's been in this, is this, there's what the work employer needs, and there's what the employee and workforce needs. And it's it's this constant continuum of figuring out how do we serve that in a way that we're not only thinking about the employer, but we're not only thinking about the employee in this kind of hoop lounge, like whatever you want to do, just do it. It's totally cool. Where do you help organizations or how do you approach that to help find that right balance so that you're investing your dollars in a wise way, but in a way that's matching both? Yeah. So the way that we've built LearnIn is to really, I, I mean, it can scale up or down, right? In terms of we really want it to be a tool for companies to say, these are the skills that we need. And then we say, great, like, what does that actually mean in terms of, because we ultimately want to translate this into, 
fierce development opportunities aligned to internal resources of time and money and support. So it's the company, so our tools say, hey company, you need data scientists. Great, what does that mean in terms of the time and the financing and the support that you're going to give your employees to participate in these programs? And we help them inform that and it can be at different levels. So companies might say, we really need data scientists. So we're going to subsidize a program. We're gonna give you as much support as we can, give you some time to participate at work, gonna give you a completion bonus at the end. And then, but maybe, you know, for project management, yeah, we sort of need project management. You know, we're going to sort of subsidize it up to this level. And then there's some things that, hey, it really doesn't align to the needs of what we as a company need right now. So if you want to go, you know, learn how to be X, Y, or Z, like we'll give you the support we can, but we're not really subsidizing that type of development. So the company can come in at different levels. And I think it's important for the company to be able to communicate that to their employees. Cause I've had some really sad conversations where someone's saying, I'm trying to, you know, improve my career prospects at my company. So I go into a master's program in something, I get done, no one cares. And all of a sudden I'm realizing like, oh shoot, like I just went and spent three years and all this time and energy learning something that my company does not like, care about. Doesn't care about. And it's like, that's okay if that's where you wanted to go, but your company owes you and should communicate like, hey, this is where we really have talent needs internally. Okay. And this is, you know, where we sort of, and this is kind of like, you know, not so much and different levels. You want to do it for your own personal development. We're supportive of that, but it's not necessarily going to be something that's going to exactly career mobility for you. Yeah. Employees should not have to guess, right? They shouldn't have to guess, like, I'm going to do this thing. What is it going to, does it align to what my company needs? Um, so I think that's kind of the biggest thing. Okay. Well, and I think the transparency behind that is an important piece. I think there's a lot of complexities that go into where that comes from. You know, some of it is, I think sometimes organizations just struggle to know what to do with their people in terms of mobility. I think that's where we're seeing the career mobility side of things really pick up in the industry right now is the fact that it's actually solving a problem for organizations that have historically struggled with we don't know where the opportunity to send people is other than job descriptions. We don't really know what's going on. And so when somebody does finish a data science program, we're like, do we have anything in our careers thing? No. Oh, shoot. Like, what, what do we do now? And I think this is where we're creating greater opportunity for that kind of mobility. Okay. So let me ask you this, because this will help me break down where, where you're playing in this is for what you're doing with this, because I'm framing up in my head how I picture this, if I were to categorize it, yeah. before I put it in a category, because I don't think it is a category that really exists. The white space you described, David, is yeah. it's it's an ether right now. I, I don't personally see a lot of people playing in that space at all. And I talk to a lot of people. Um, is Are you playing in the space of you're creating those upskilling, like you're creating the infrastructure, is it you're curating that from the different existing different places where all these come together so that organizations can make a smarter play? Is it where do you fit in? Where will you fit or where do you vision seeing you fit in that? 
Yeah, I mean, it's the curse um, that I'm, you know, called to carry, I guess. I mean, and, and the honest answer is like, I, I don't know. I mean, we're just solving the problems. I mean, like, break the problem down and I don't know. I mean, like the, you know, trying to get people through a 480 hour journey with a high quality program, with the support they need, with the time that they need, you know, aligned with sort of an outcome and the ability to apply it. Um, you know, how do we categorize that? Is it curation? Like we aren't developing, so one, we're not developing content. We're not developing the skill programming. So at that level, it's, it's curation. Um, but it's much more than just sort of the, the marketplace of programs. Like you know, that's, that's a useful value add, um, but that's not meaningfully, uh, I mean, literally that's the decision point that comes before you even start your 480 hours. Yes. You know, that's like kind of which pathway am I going to go, you know, take and spend 480 hours on. So we really are trying to take people from that decision point, you know, help you find a program that's well aligned, you know, and then we're trying to take the organization and their ability to support the person, us supporting the person, you know, the person getting through the 480 hour journey and ideally all the way through to like a promotion or unlocking, you know, um, actual opportunity on the other side of it. Um, okay. Well, yeah. and I think that in, in and the, the, you know, I'll let you kind of keep going on this one, but I think if I'm understanding correctly and it, and it makes sense, you're still to some degree figuring some of the nuts and bolts of this stuff out as you're going, but it's not, we're going out and we're creating all of these programs specifically for these different degrees, you know, the, the degree alternative, the white space thing, we're designing and architecting all the content behind that because I think, to, but at the same time, it's also not just a, we're just going and finding all these ones and then just bringing it together. Because again, that still doesn't necessarily address the challenge that organizations face of, well, if you just needed a marketplace, this problem would solve itself. And solving this problem is much more complicated than just saying, hey, here's a whole suite of, here's a whole suite of things. Let's throw a little AI on it and match people up and, you know, be e-harmony for the next gen of career development. Yeah, there's, uh, I mean, there's, most of these programs have existed almost, you know, almost exclusively direct to consumer. And that's just because the model hasn't yet found its home in enterprise. And, and why not? And behind that, why not is, is a whole bunch of kind of structural issues, policy issues, behavioral, you know, corporate behaviors that like we are trying to help organizations see, recognize, you know, us create solutions that help account for. And so that, you know, it's kind of the moment in, you know, Apollo 13 where it's you know they've got the, the the square tube that has to make it in the round hole and they've got 119 you know pieces of scrap fabric that they have to like engineer to get these two things to fit together and you know and that's a lot of what we're doing right now i mean it's it's interesting it's fascinating it's it's not exactly like this is not you know lean startup eric reese the the actual lean startup book and and philosophy like this is not the easiest way of building a startup um no you know, the, and part of what we're having to do is go inside organizations. And I mean, it's, you know, and break down just like internal silos because, you know, like you've got L and D who has historically owned the skilling agenda, but yep. then a lot of these dollars sit in with the benefits that, you know, education benefits and the tuition assistance manager. And sometimes those sit in the same organization more it's often rare. than not. It's rare. They yeah. Don't, you know? And so it's like, Hey, you could get, you could do so much better 
for your people, for your objectives, for the business. You could do so much better if we can coordinate, if you can unlock these dollars, if you can apply it in a new way, you know, but again, it's just new. It's just new. It's just hard. We're breaking down silos. We're, we're solutioning what sits behind it. You know, what I hope is, is um, this is a tough kind of journey, but there's so much value truly that sits behind this. I mean, like most companies spend more on their education benefits than they do on their L and D um, per employee. And so like, I mean, if we can, if we can help companies, they're already spending this in tuition assistance and they're already spending this in, you know, L and D right now, L and D has actually undergone a lot of transformation, a lot of disruption. It's been really quite made fairly efficient relative to the solutions that the market has to offer. Yep. Now education benefits has not like, you know, as Taylor said, a lot of companies haven't re-examined it since the nineties. Like it's a 30 year old, you know, legacy system that's being spent on, you know, I firmly believe the absolute worst thing you can spend tuition assistance on is college tuition. Like pound for pound, dollar for dollar, that is the lowest ROI, like uh, way you can go and send anyone to, to gain knowledge or skill. Um, the absolute worst. Um, you know, and yet that's how 99% of all those dollars, and they are substantive dollars, are being spent. So, well, no, and it's it, the thing about it is, and what you're talking about should be. Well, it could feel overwhelming to learning professionals like, oh, my word, are you kidding right now? It's also very exciting because the position and the potential we have as an organization is, is huge. And I think historically, we've kind of accepted that we were just this little like, well, we just kind of do our thing over here and, you know, we want to seat at the table and, and, you know, all this stuff. And it's like that opportunity now is creating itself in many, many, many different ways. Some are just where we are in, in the optimization and the efficiency we're getting at. Some are what you're talking about is we can tap into new funding, new things, you know, new aspects of things that were historically outside our camp and forge that together. I think I, I talked about this maybe I don't know, it was a couple of months ago was the same thing on customer education. You start talking about how organizations can leverage this for customer development and the revenue generation potential out of that. I mean, there's a ton of potential in this space right now for people who are willing to embrace it and go, we got to think outside the box here and we can do some massive, powerful things if we really lean into it. I'll, I'll give it back to you to, you know, you you coined the phrase, man, uh, name the category, like degreed, degreed, birth and created and leads the LXP category. But like that is not, you know, we didn't come up with that name. You know, I mean, that was that was everyone else trying to understand and put, put words. Don't to, ask me to create another category. I think people are having a hard we'll, enough time. We'll give, we'll give the, we will give it to you. You tell us what. Oh, uh, yeah. There we go. All this. <laughs> <laughs> I'll noodle on that one for a bit yeah. and I'll get back to you. Yeah. Um, so, Chris, so one other question. Go for it. Let me just add one thing. Yeah, no. Talking about the silos between L&D and benefits. I mean, I think the real thing that we need to drive towards is helping organizations think in terms of, oh, sorry, in terms of the problems. Yeah. So if the problem is we need to develop our people, we need to invest in our talent, we need to take someone from here to here, like let's frame it in terms of that. Let's not frame it in terms of, you know, what should our tuition assistance policy be? What yep. should 
hey, how are we going to, you know, administer our LMS? Like we need to think in terms of these problems because there is so many, there are these silos and there are yeah. people who are thinking, you know, they've got their blinders on to their specific challenges. And this like holistic employee development building talent risks getting lost between these different categories and stakeholders. It um, does. Well, and I think this is where the complete reframing of what learning and development was is we're, we're reaching a point where we almost have to because what learning and development was is is no longer what it will be. And it's it's in the past. And I think this whole idea of we are the people development engine of the organization. And that that then spans across the horizontal because it's like, well, that that doesn't that's not tied to a function or a silo or a business unit. That's tied to an enterprise initiative that does have tremendous value to an organization because no matter who you talk to as a business leader, nobody says we don't need to develop our people because the business is changing and we need to get them on board. They may not use our L&D buzzwords and terminology, but they're saying the same thing. They know that the market's changing, things are evolving, and that the people need to know how to get on board with that. They just don't necessarily always know how to articulate it. So I think it's interesting you know, where you're going with this. And I, I appreciate the transparency behind the, you know, we're, we're working through exactly how this will all go. But based on the comments and just my own take on it for what it's worth, it is a huge hole. It's a huge hole in organizations. And I think it's something that there's tremendous opportunity to fit. So where's... Where does this leave you today, you know, as, as organizations are stepping into this? Like, what's a good starting? That, that'll be my final question, because I've got about yeah. 473 more that I could ask, but I'm not going to, because otherwise we'll be here for the remainder of the day. But for organizations that are starting, maybe hear this or they're going, you know what? Snap. Like, this is, you're right. This is something that maybe we should start thinking about. How are organizations... How do you advise them to start treading into this territory to say, all right, we know we probably need to think outside of this. We aren't really sure where to, to start. We don't want to get hung up on analysis paralysis type of thing, like where, where to begin. Yeah, the, the good news here is that, uh, especially when it comes to the tuition assistance, it's so inefficient that we can gain efficiencies and cost savings almost from, you know, like the first hour of sort of breaking this problem down. Okay. So that would give a lot of people confidence, which is, you know, this is an area for material, either spend the same amount and get more for it or try and accomplish the same outcomes and spend less. So, you know, we really do believe that this can be a, very big driver in cost savings or in increased skill output. Um, you know, but look, we need, we need those kind of pioneering spirits who are interested in, you know, who have the stakeholders, who have the champions internally, who, you know, recognize that this is a truth that, you know, there's, there's utility and value for the individuals and for the organization. If, you know, the organization's willing to do the hard work of breaking down some of these barriers and engaging in this work holistically. Um, Degreed went three years. Um, we existed uh, January 2012. The first enterprise client was January 2015. You know, like, uh, and it would have gone years longer if it wasn't for the pioneering spirits of one of our first partners. And that's what it takes. It takes, this is, you know, I've come to appreciate that 
sort of, you know, there's no fixing these problems in, in a laboratory. Like, you know, we've got to work in partnership um, to make these things real. And so I'd welcome anyone who's listening here, you know, if you feel like uh, you've got, um, you know, kind of the, the energy inside of your organization to, to engage in this work and drive to those improved outcomes, we'd love to cool. just, you know, partner with you. Cool. Well, and I think that's that's a really natural, it's a great place to end too, but I think that gives it a very tangible, actionable thing where it's not, because I think the tendency would be to think like, oh gosh, I've got to go try and drum up business stakeholders. All it, it might be as simple as saying, hey, let's take a look at what we're doing with our tuition reimbursement right now. Let's take a look at that and see if maybe we could be doing better, getting more out of it, spending less, whatever that is, let's see if we can maximize that. And that now becomes a tangible thing that you can action against. It opens the conversation that most likely, I, I don't know a lot of orgs that are going to go, no, we're <laughs> perfectly fine with it. Don't touch it. It's, it's you know, great. Leave it alone. Okay. Well, with that, we are, what's that? Appreciate it. All right. Well, we're out of time. Um, so thank you both for joining me. Thank you everyone for tuning in. Hopefully this got your noodle, you know, rolling or whatever term you want to use to get you thinking about things. Uh, and you found some value in it. I appreciate you being here. Uh, I appreciate you both joining me and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. Thanks everybody for watching. Thank you.